0: Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, box office results chat, Halloween Ends opens, and we have Jamie Lee Curtis and director David Gordon Green joining us on the show. Blunders and welcome welcome to episode number 232 of real blend a podcast that really really hopes a ticket to paradise is a backdoor oceans sequel my name is sean o'connell the managing editor here at cinema blend and on this week's show box office results some really interesting things that happened to the box office that we want to touch on uh halloween ends is coming to theaters and peacock uh so choose your weapon and move forward accordingly and then jamie lee curtis And director David Gordon Green are going to be joining the show to discuss the legacy of Laurie Strode in a really, really touching interview that I think you guys are going to enjoy um, partaking in that interview uh, this week. As always, it's Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake Hamilton. Sean O'Connell, I love your shirt. Thank you. I'm mad at Jake today because he had great quotes from Daenerys. Settle down. Uh, The Rock great great quotes from the rock yeah uh, and he got them out fast like any professional would do and jake went everywhere today and then i ran my quotes right after and uh they're not doing anything <laughs> you just posted them <laughs> yeah. give them yeah. a second I know. Him it was a great interview
4: it yeah. was blowing up blowing thank you up.
0: uh the other voice that you're hearing is kevin mccarthy of fox 5 in washington dc hi kev how are you hello
4: sean jacob gabriel great to see you guys and uh Looking forward. I mean, I'm very excited about this Jamie Lee Curtis interview on our show today. It's uh, it was and David Gordon Green, obviously, but it was really cool to have her for the final one. You know, pretty You're wild. You're going to
0: see how chill David Gordon Green is in the interview, because I think that he realized like he just had to let Jamie Lee Curtis go. She yeah. was so uh, into having this interview take place and and chatting up Laurie Strode and the franchise that he just really sat back. And was like the the front row audience for yeah. her. Which like I honestly, really... like
5: he was listening to her, like in a way. Like of course he's listening to her, but like he was almost listening to her in the way that we were.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. Why well, don't I want to say hello to Gabe Kobacha before we continue on too? Uh sitting in the producer's chair and keeping the show moving along. If you're watching hello, us boys. on YouTube, thank you so much for tuning in. Hit like and subscribe, turn on your notifications, be up to date with everything that we're doing here on Real Blend. Uh, If you want to join the premium and get a free show on Monday, well, not a free show, an additional show uh, on Mondays, head to the description down below and find out how you can get more uh, Real Blend in your life. It also comes with a newsletter that I write every other week. Um, And of course, you get an ad-free version of the full show. Uh, And then we're available on a weekly basis everywhere you get your podcast needs met. Sometimes it's the full show. Sometimes it's a bonus interview that we have done. Uh, but basically, we're always keeping things coming your way, with regards to the Real blend. And we have some interesting things cooking too. So fingers crossed that we'll have some cool people on the show uh, coming up soon, like these guys. Uh, we don't want to waste any time. We have Jamie Lee Curtis uh, and David Gordon Green talking about the the final Halloween, the last Halloween that they're ever going to make. <laughs> Ms. Curtis, I want to start with you because Lori is is the ultimate final girl. She's the one who essentially launched the concept of the final girl. But very few uh, final girls are able to explore a lot of the post-trauma emotions that you've been able to go through uh, with Lori this entire time. And in this one specifically, we see sides of her that I never thought we'd see. She's, she's happy. Uh, she's well, at peace. Wait. Yes.
3: She's not happy and she's not at peace. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, You, you meet someone who's finally gotten some help. So I posit the idea that Laurie Strode in 1978 um, survived the massacre of Michael Myers and on November 2nd went back to school um, and got nothing and literally became the freak survivor and suffered all the survivor's guilt and all of the post-traumatic stress syndrome, which we didn't even call it then, we called it shell shock back in the war days that she just got nothing, no help at all. And the 2018 movie that David conceived showed what the result of that was, which is a woman living literally, physically, spiritually, and mentally behind barbed wire. That she was imp- it w- she was alive for one purpose, and that was simply to confront Michael Myers. She lost her daughter and granddaughter. And that those two movies, end in such an operatic, beautiful cacophony of sound and visuals and trauma and you could never start a third movie that way. And David, Mm -hmm. to his great credit, started the new movie four years later. There was a line that David didn't use that I improvised when she ran into Frank at the market where she says, because he says, I like your haircut. And she said, Mm -hmm. yeah, it had to go. It's been four years. That's like fucking high school.
2: Mm.
3: High school is four years. And what we're trying to say is that that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And in that time, Laurie Strode did receive mental health help. She got grief counseling. She had trauma therapy. And so the Laurie Strode we meet is not happy. Mm. She's able to live alongside her grief. The Mm. grief no longer consumes her. It has allowed her to move forward in her life, never separated from her grief. You never get over the loss of a child, but it allows the possibility of hope. And that hope is then articulated in the relationship with Frank for that second where you see her smile. Mm. So I wouldn't say she's moved on, she's not happy, but she is coping because she finally got the help. And that, to me, was the great gift of David to Lori fans and Lori to give her a moment mm. of hope. That's, that's what I think mm. you're
4: thinking of. That is outstanding. Thank you so much for yeah, that. That's, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I want to ask this because I'm actually curious about this uh, in terms of the filmmaking process and kind of the way films have been made over the years. But, Jamie, I wanted to know, do you remember the first scene you ever shot Absolutely. On Carpenter's original film and Absolutely. then and then on the other side of it, the last scene you shot here. Absolutely. So- do oh, I remember? That. No, I, I remember. remember
3: but... I remember being in second grade and having to do the Christmas pageant, and I had a long thing of, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Blah 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 blah. I mean, what? I remember everything. I remember Laurie's answer in the high in the class in high school in 1978. She says. um, Um, uh, Costain wrote that fate was somehow related only to religion, where Samuels felt that fate was more like a natural element, earth, air, fire, and water. (laughs) What do you mean, do I remember the first day of shooting? What the fuck do you think I do? (laughs) How dare you? I am, of course, the first day of shooting (laughs) on Halloween, (laughs) 1970, was the scene of Laurie leaving her house with the pumpkin, walking out the back door with her dad saying, don't forget to leave the key at the Myers house. And she says, I won't. And then she goes and sits on the front concrete thing where people now take pictures in South Pasadena um, and waits for her friend to come pick her up. That was the first shot. And the last shot was a very beautiful moment between Dave and me. It was a a single of Lori in a car, and it was late at night. And um, I knew when I got out of the car, they just needed to check the playback to make sure that they got the shot. And then I got out of the car, and of course, the rest of the crew was all gathering around the car because they were gonna do a whole thing. And Dave was sitting in the back of the car and looking at the monitor, and um, I grabbed my phone, and I uh, took a picture of David looking at Lori for the last time, mm. and as soon as he approved the shot, he said, okay, that's it. And then, of course, <laughs> we started crying, and then it was all the end.
4: <laughs> uh, wow! And David, can I just get your perspective on that moment too? Just to be on that in in that moment, and the at the end of what this hall has been for decades—like just to have been there and been a part of it—that's
6: what it is. I mean, it's just to be a part of something of that magnitude that that is so epic on one end, and you know, there's there's billboards and buildings and and um, advertisements and so much stuff that, that that the culture of this movie has 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 um has invited and is a part of it and then yet that there's this moment on set with two creative collaborators that have taken a four or five year journey from from the first script that Jamie was kind enough to give a chance to read to have a conversation with me about, I was trying to. I didn't have a
3: conversation. I just said yes. I mean, let's <laughs> to be honest. Sorry to
6: and then, and then to go to that point where we're 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 winding it all down in such a, a simple form, of a, a close up on Lori in a car, and uh, and wow. it's at night, and it's and it, we're driving around, and it's three in the morning, and neither of us are night owls, so it's one of those things where where we're exhausted and we're exhilarated and we're confident, we're proud and we're nervous and all these things that you get that flow of emotion. Um, you know, I said goodbye to Jamie. And then I went back to my hotel and drank until sunrise with some of my uh, collaborators and just <laughs> had that moment of, uh, of appreciating this crazy journey.
4: Wow. wow. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's really special. Yeah.
5: Guys, I was wondering if we could for a moment um, appreciate uh, the great Nick Castle and and David, I love that you have integrated Nick into the series. And I was just wondering if both of you could just talk about your relationship with Nick and, and kind of his 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 impact on this series, because it's, it's always really great to see him pop up in the in the cameos.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be honest, you know, Nick comes into the Nick always comes and sort of graces us with his shape presence but James Jude Courtney mm-hmm. really was the collaborator but the truth of the matter is neither one of us like talking about the shape mm. um, as David says Michael Myers is the shark from jaws like you don't want to know anything about him like you don't want to know he's a person. Mm. Like, do, like, do you want to know that the shark from Jaws has baby sharks at home? And, I do not. Know, his wife, like about that. pissed off because he's out all night. And like, it's, Michael Myers is a shark from Jaws. Sure. He's a monster. That's and how you so ruin a character. It's like yeah. discussing it beyond that always makes me uncomfortable because I I don't fraternize. I don't, we don't. I, I, I take this probably way too seriously. That's probably why it's good that it's over for me because I'm, I'm a little militant about it. I mean, obviously, there have been moments, but I'm, I'm pretty militant about it. I want to keep the integrity all the way to this bitter end next Friday. Once mm. the next Friday, maybe I'll have some funny stories, but up until that moment, we're trying to get audiences to understand that this final collision... Between good and evil is epic, and it <laughs> happens in the movie Halloween Ends, created by David Gordon Green. And beyond that, any pers- any um, um, anthropomorphizing of the monster, I think, is a mistake. But For adding on, on to
6: the Nick Castle of it all, he he's more more than the shape. He's Nick Castle. He made a lot of great movies in his oh, own yeah. right and he's a he reads every script that i write and he's a, been a creative consultant that i turn to and i, I show him drafts and get his notes and, and they're really <laughs> valuable he comes to set and he is this wonderful almost a mascot of just cheer and support and um and having him around is great before halloween ends i had a conversation with him and i said i want to i want you to retire the shape mask because i think out of respect for what Jim is bringing to the table, uh, I want this to be 100% solo him, but I can't deny your—I uh, um, the. the I want to tribute you. And so can I do mm. you a, a maskless—can uh, a, na- a maskless Nick show up in this movie? And then he said, well, what am I going to wear? You'll be at this party. I was like, I want you in some summer, sort of slim good body type of uh, anatomical outfit. And I was like, and I want you to say something. He's like, what do you want me to say? I was like, I can't imagine what you would say. And he actually came up with, see anything you like, which is a nice little mm-hmm. callback to the uh, the last film. But so a, a writer that I respect and a collaborator that has become you know a, an additional godfather to to John Carpenter alongside us in this on this journey. That's awesome. awesome.
0: Uh, David, I'm going to take a swing on something because I don't know if it's if it's something you were intending or not. But every time you uh, utilized shadows or silhouettes uh, in this chapter, uh, I found it really striking. I kept taking sort of notes. Was it a deliberate choice to you to sort of visualize the use of shadows and silhouettes at this one, or is it just something that happened?
6: No, it, it was. We, we took a little bit of a stylistic leap, and I and I had a lot of different references from movies as we were exploring what the look of this movie was going to be in I wanted it to feel like it was in the vernacular of a Halloween movie but then still have it be a little bit uh, of a different attitude. The, sa- the cameras it's a little bit slower paced, uh, editing a little bit more methodical, a little bit more vibrant color in some of the lighting and things like that and and that brought in just the opportunity for Shadow even beginning in our cold opening sequence with Corey going up the stairs and and, and Shadow's passing in the background subtly giving us a little um, maybe you missed it, maybe you didn't. Um, right. But these little these little whispers of things that are, are happening to give us a little bit of that paranoia as the audience.
4: You know, uh, Jamie, we talked a lot earlier about uh, how this is gonna be, can be healing for people in terms of facing their demons. I, I love that line so much about like, do I lock the door or let them in? I just think that's such a powerful aspect. But you have a line where you talk about this idea of like, I am hoping with perspective that my experience will help others heal. Um, which is a really beautiful line. And I was just curious, like, what people tell you or talk to you about um, in terms of their experiences when they watch Laurie go through what she's been going through all these decades in these films, but especially in the last two, and obviously they haven't seen the third one yet. But what do you hear from people that are, do they, do you, do people tell you that they're healed or they get healed by watching you go through it in a cathartic way, the character?
3: So this really happened. And it's available, and you can see it. When we previewed the first footage ever seen in July of 2018, we went to Comic-Con in, in uh, San Diego, Hall H.
2: <laughs>
3: and it was packed. We showed, whatever, 10 minutes of assembled footage, not a trailer, but just a kind of a, a, a tiny drop of just for them. And then we did a little panel thing, Nicole Brown was the moderator, and we were, Yvette, Nicole Brown was the thing, We a couple questions to each of us, and then we asked for audience questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the first guy stood up, he was, te- you know, 10 rows back on the right-hand side, and he stood up, and he had a microphone, and he said, I was in a home invasion robbery, and What saved me was, I thought, what would Laurie Strode do? Mm. And I want to thank you for saving my life. And he started weeping. And I started weeping. And I'm on the dais. And I walked down the stairs, walked up the aisle, and we met in in the aisle. And we embraced. That was the first human who had come in any contact with the new films by David. Mm. And that was the response. That is a response I get a lot. I get the gratitude. You know, Lori Strode is the final girl. She is everything you want to believe about surviving. She, she, she's... She's the final girl. She she has persevered. Um, she's never given up. She represents fortitude and all of these qualities people assign to me because I'm fucking Laurie Strode. <laughs> it's this crazy thing where in 1978, if you look at the role, that was an acting part for me. I was sort of flirty slutty, 19 year old Jamie. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, I was much more like uh, Linda. Linda? Mm -hmm. Uh, PJ's character. I was way more like her.
0: Sure. Yeah. I was
3: not Laurie Strode. Mm
2: -hmm. Laurie
3: Strode was an acting part for me and I loved it because I'm an actress Mm -hmm. and I don't want to play a version of Jamie. I want to play. I don't know if you saw everything everywhere all at once. I don't want to play a version of Jamie. I want to play characters. But Laurie Strode was the first time I got to play a character. And so, but that girl who never got any help, the 2018 version is a lot more aligned with Jamie. And Mm. by the 2022 Mm. version, I think we have become in dis... um, What's the word I'm looking for, Dave? Uh, You can't separate us. Uh, Inseparable? inseparable? Inseparable. You can't do it. Like we are woven together now with the Gordian knot of Laurie Strode is uh, unravelable. Mm. Uh, uh, Laurie Strode is Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie Strode. And together, Mm. it's a much more Mm. um, internal, uh, integral character, much more aligned with me. And it's just beautiful that I get, my legacy in the world is that I never give up. Mm. And that's astonishing.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Uh, guys, they're giving you. us the wrap. We're completely wow. out of time. We wish we had Shut more. It. We're crying. Uh, that's, that's outstanding. Thank yeah. you guys so much for joining us. We really
4: appreciate it. Thank and you. David, David thank you for support. making these films, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. God
3: bless you. Thank Bye-bye.
7: This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force.
1: Thank you so much to
0: Jamie Lee Curtis and to David Gordon Green, as well as to our friends at Universal Pictures for hooking us up with that interview. Uh, Really, really special to get a chance to talk to them about Uh, Landing the plane with this franchise, this iconic franchise, and to really uh, God, Kevin, I had to laugh um, because I know she was busting your chops uh, in the most playful way possible about whether she remembered the first First day, her first day. (laughs) And then she's like spitting out lines from her Christmas pageant as an elementary school student. You're also going to notice my audio and my background are going to be very different because I was in New York for a wedding and I had to do the interview (laughs) from my cousin's house because my family all got together for a post, like the wedding was on Friday night we did this interview on Saturday and all of my cousins were outside the window looking in to see if no. they could see Jamie Lee Curtis no way and they obnoxiously were constantly like you just bring Jamie Lee Curtis outside to say hello to all of us like why can't you just bring her outside but then also Gable loved this uh I packed all my stuff uh to go up to the wedding and I legitimately brought my snowball microphone all of my cords and not my laptop No, uh, so didn't have my tech with me um and i had to borrow one of my cousin's laptops so when i sat down to work i'm i'm an apple guy i know how to do things on apple but he set me up on like this dell computer and um i had to connect my headphones A somehow and I'm, yeah i'm like texting gabe for would you like, to, to do the junket for halloween h2o basically yeah it's uh, how i felt that was. if you try to do any work on someone else's computer it's virtually impossible yeah. you only know your
4: own stuff. hey sean do you do you know what a computer's favorite horror movie of all time is oh shit let me
0: think about this a computer's favorite a computer's horror favorite horror. movie like any computer in general dell razor Oh, uh, Jesus, yeah, that was uh, a little callback All right, week, let's sorry, get this in box office chatter. I want okay. to bring up the fact that uh, audiences really are hungry for uh, for uh, horror content now that we're getting into Halloween. And so that probably bodes really, really well for Halloween ends, although I will be curious to see uh, how being available on Peacock maybe Chews into um, the box office. Well, they for did Halloween it last ends. year, too, for Halloween Kills. They did. Yeah, yeah, they did. But did it still open decently? I don't remember. I mean,
5: when it was it... hard to compare because remember when Halloween 2018 came out? Remember, it was such a big kind of like it was almost like trying to compare Force Awakens to Last Jedi, like just that that X factor oh, yeah. wasn't there. You know, it right. was such a big deal when she came back that first time. So there was a pretty substantial drop, but it was a understandable, pretty substantial drop because I don't think anyone expected kills to do with the 2018 Halloween. It was just it, it would be an right. un- Fair comparison to try to compare the two so it's hard it was to also
4: tell pandemic and also the uh didn't kills go to peacock and theaters as well yes
5: yes so, so. I, ha-
4: I have the numbers 76 million for the first halloween or mm. 2018 just to give perspective um and then halloween yeah so 76 domestic opening for 2018 halloween um, Domestic opening for Halloween Kills was 49 million. And just to give that clarification, that also happened. That was also it. during the pandemic. Yep. And uh, it had a Peacock release, but still did close to 50 million domestically. It's pretty um, impressive. And then so now, I don't know, man, with this year, with this current state of horror and the way these movies are all doing like Barbarian and Smile there's a need like I went I know we we're going to get into this, but I went and saw a smile and it was a, it was it was a bunch of kids like high school kids who were like out of school for the day that went to. It was like it reminded me of me when I was a kid. I was like, you go there just to see a scary movie because it's fun with oh, your friends. And I'll bring
0: that up as well, too. Like PJ yeah. does not go to the movies that often. And yeah. he says, like, I'm going to go with some friends to go see Halloween ends when it opens. Cool. So
4: it's like a taboo thing. It's like uh, I don't know if taboo is the right word. It's like it's like uh, it's like you're going to it because you, you're going to see something that's going to be shocking and scary, and it's going to like elicit a large response. And like I'm telling you, I was I saw it smile on a Tuesday at, like, at 145 or Wednesday at 145 the week after it came out and it was still crowded. And the majority of the people in there, I would say, were were high school kids. No question. All right. So it's an R-rated to, movie. Why that gets they not to Not in the- school i was doing the same thing maybe it was college
7: know. kids maybe we're getting old in college <laughs> yeah, kids we are getting old. Old. <laughs> uh
0: that brings us to the fact that smile in its second weekend um made another 18.4 Insane. million dollars Insane. at the box office uh, a v- v- insignificant drop essentially from its opening weekend and it is now around 90 million dollars worldwide final totals are still coming in as we are recording this
4: um it cannot, halloween kills by
0: the way
7: because we were discussing this halloween kills yeah. worldwide total was 131
4: and smiles already at 90 which wow. yeah th- now and it's interesting again and wh- so what was the worldwide total for the 2018 one gabe because uh, 255 right okay. and i think it's an interesting because on a kills, 10 million dollar budget man wow True. and kills Goodness. was a 20 million dollar budget and it came out now kills you know again still made a lot of money but that was and and we are still in the pandemic now but kills came out like in the middle. Yeah, of, like, yeah, like yeah. You we should know, call it pre.
7: We should call it pre. Uh, uh pre Maverick is what we should call that era. pre Maverick. <laughs> It was a different time
4: for for the yeah. pandemic, and we are still in it. Word so. of
0: mouth hurt kills a little bit. Like, I think yeah. people yeah. saw kills and said it wasn't that good. Yeah. It's not. But that and, good. Well, let
4: me ask you guys, because we were worried
5: about we're well, not worried, but we were, we were contemplating what Peacock was going to do to Halloween ends. What is Smile going to do to Halloween ends? If this many people have gone out and seen a ho- like, or do you do you feel like people are getting their horror quota? Like, oh, like I already went. saw so Smile, I don't need to see. I, I think, don't, you know, think October. It's
0: October halloween has such a big following to sure. it um so and, and if you're saying any film is the end of the story that you're yeah. trying to tell that curiosity factor is going to drag people out to at least see like yeah. how are they concluding yeah. it and, and we're going to give our review of halloween ends a little bit later on in the show and i think you guys are going to want to hear that one too because we have varying uh opinions on how the movie plays out but um but but just wanted to bring this up as a big kudos to smile for being original yeah uh, we we gave a lot of love to the marketing campaign for it last week of how creative they've been by placing those people around at the at the baseball games. Um, are they still doing it? I haven't seen them do it. I know it's like the baseball. Well,
5: there's playoffs been a, there's, now. Yeah, i would we're going into playoffs that I, I think they've kind of scaled back from that. They really
4: jake i think i remember the there was again i don't want to get too much in the weeds but there was one particular viral moment for smile we talked about it last week which was the the, it was they were wearing these like bright green shirts right Mm -hmm. and there was that specific woman that she was a brunette she was Mm -hmm. in that front row right behind the batter Mm -hmm. um i feel like i saw another video of her from last week doing something different with the same bit and i don't remember where it was they put her in a different game i think that i don't know if it was a game it might have been like and I saw some people behind people in like television shots. I saw other things like Al Roker had somebody behind him at one point. Yeah, um, yeah, I did see so that. I, I don't see know that. when those are happening or if those are old. But did I, you guys I, see Nathan yeah. Fielder at the Mets game? <laughs> yes. <the> rehearsal?
0: Yes. <laughs> that was a weird cameo. Yeah. And then he's hanging out there with Emma Stone, of yeah. all people. So in Padres gear, which was. Of, no, she was in San Francisco Giants gear. Oh, she was in Giants and, gear. And her husband was in Padres uh, gear,
4: which I found to no, be really strange. Yeah, we we'll do know who Nathan Fielder is. Who's that?
0: Oh, he did a show on. Uh, well, he did a show called The Rehearsal on yeah. HBO. And then he oh. also had a show called Nathan for You. He's like a comedian, but he does these high concept bits. Do
4: you think if um, he played baseball, he'd be an outfielder? Without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry.
0: Uh, but Kevin, you're the only one on the show so far who's been able to see smile. Cause like you said, you went and uh, hung out with all the high school kids. So um, yeah.
4: Yeah. How That's, was it? Is it good? <laughs> Did it? Uh, so uh, yes. Well, first of all, uh, the film, what I'm liking, liking about horror these days, and I think it's always been a part of horror, but it's gotten to be a bigger aspect now is dealing with real life. Dramatic themes like trauma and things like that, which we've seen in these recent Halloween films. But This is a movie that I was kind of just based on the concept of it. It's really disturbing, very brutal. Um, But if you step back from it and actually watch it as a piece about facing your demons and what and and doing those types of things, it actually resonates in a very interesting way. It just happens to be really disturbing. I I don't know if you guys are familiar with the exact concept of it, but essentially it's like the ring, you know, uh, someone, you know, in the ring, you'd watch the TV and that, you know, that meant you were going to die. What? five days later whatever whatever it was so in this case essentially the the idea is some entity is within a person that person then um basically has a certain amount of time and then they show up in front of somebody else go into a creepy smile and then commit suicide in front of that person that then passes the entity on to the next person which I won't give anything beyond that, but there are like the drama of the film is how do you break that? And Saucy Bacon, who's Kevin Bacon's daughter. So Saucy so- believe- Bacon. So Saucy so- so- bacon. So- so- bacon. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, that that's funny. I said Saucy because we were joking before the uh podcast about how to pronounce it and then how terribly stupid it would sound if I said Saucy Bacon. Um So of course I said that. <laughs> the joke um, got stuck. <laughs> yeah, it got stuck. Um So she's incredible in the film. Uh, a phenomenal performance and the whole movie is really what you do once you have the, the information and knowing that that's inside of you. Um, and so the whole film is kind of just this idea of like facing that drama, facing things in your life, finding out who in your life actually cares about you and who doesn't care about you. Um, and I think one thing I really found interesting about it was there is something so horrendously scary about that smile and they don't overdo it. And that's another thing that's really important to note here, because that could have been a real cheesy, over the top, like overly done. They really, really hold it for very specific moments. And when it's done, it's it is like you feel a pit in your stomach when someone's smiling like that, even when you watch the trailers. Um, I think the film, in my opinion, is really great until the ending. I don't know that I loved The ending specifically, and the only reason I'll tell you that is because kind of like Halloween 2018, it's it felt like an ending that felt business versus story. Um, I think what they were trying to do is there and thematically it works. I won't give any other details, but I just found that sometimes when you have a great film going and then you I'm not saying it had to go where I wanted it to go. I just find it frustrating when you can say, oh, They're just setting up a sequel. They could have clearly closed this off somehow. But no, we're going to set up for sequel just in case it does well, which it did. Um, Mm -hmm. That's my only real complaint about it. I mean, it's I'll say this. I'm 38 as I get older. I don't like particularly watching stuff like this. That's this brutal. Um, But I got to tell you, man, it was it was probably one of the scariest experiences I've had in a film in a long time. Like Barbarian Barbarian was was insane, but it wasn't really like barbarian was just more shocking i thought than scary this is just genuinely disturbing and really scary so i would see it um she's fantastic i want to give her credit i think she's a really great actress and i think she did a phenomenal job um really well done and it felt original i didn't know where it was going um and it was scary and even though i compared it to the ring even though you get that that that's kind of like the bit of it right but like you don't know where it's gonna go and it's pretty wicked so terrific year it. for
0: horror this has been a yeah. terrific year for horror going all the way back to the, to the scream reboot and you know uh, i'm blanking of course on other titles that we've x. seen but i know that x uh, pearl um yeah.
4: smile is also a great title it's it a is. really great title and like not for
0: google searches it's not I'll i know and
4: <laughs> it's funny we were we were talking about this last week about bros and whether or not we thought the title either hurt the film or not but i think smile is such a great title
0: Well, let me tell you another title that probably hurt, uh, which is Amsterdam, because no one knew what the hell that movie was (laughs) and uh, and it didn't do very well at the box office. So Amsterdam is David O. Russell's latest film star studded cast. I mean, every celebrity you could think of uh, under the sun made it into this film um, and it opened to six point five. I thought on on an 80 million million dollar budget. Yeah. And I thought that the coverage, not that. Most people reading this care that much about inside baseball coverage, but it feels like the trades when they reported on it failing were like they really had their, you know, blades sharpened to sort of take this down like they were encouraging it to fail. Um And you see that uh, sometimes in the way that that the trades take an angle necessarily. So I can't. It's interesting. We've had this conversation over the years about whether um celebrities draw, you know, and whether actors have star have star power in order to like pull people to the theater. Um, And, and you would think that like the the actors in that movie would have a fan base to draw in more than, but I
7: think that when there's so many of them, none of their, like no singular fan base felt that it was that person's movie. Like there was a reason, you know what I mean? Like there were so many people that I don't think people who love Margot Robbie were like, Oh, Margot
5: Robbie's sure. Like, but I, you know, I feel like it was a really interesting one, two punch because I did have a lot of people reaching out to me about like Oh, my God. Like Amsterdam, everybody's in this movie. But then another interesting thing happened, which is I had a lot of people reaching out to me in response to seeing a lot of early reviews, like a lot of like for every person that was like, oh, my God, I saw the trailer for Amsterdam. That cast looks incredible. One to one ratio. uh, People would reach out and go, "Oof, those reviews for Amsterdam are not good. So I really do think. The cast piqued people's interest, okay. but I, I don't think it was enough for them to go in blind. I think a lot of people check just to kind of see, well, okay, well, what are they what are they saying about the movie? And I think had reviews been better, um, it would have done much better than a than a less than seven million so you're dollar saying opening. That
7: if a movie's good, people will want to see it; but <laughs> if bad, people don't want to see it.
4: <laughs> well, I mean,
7: look. Uh, there are a lot of movies that there are a lot of
5: movies that prove the opposite of that. Okay, true, well, true, 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 true. I
4: mean, though, but this, this this is an interesting story in general about the juxtaposition of where we are now in in the way movies are opening. Like, you have a film like Smile, which has no large names in it, and it's you know it's original. It's you know it's and it's you know made for a. I think the budget was someone correct me seventeen or nineteen million. Mm-hmm. I want to say I can't remember yeah. the exact budget, but it made. It made more than its budget opening weekend. Yeah, does it um, have any
0: effects? Are there any like visual effects in it?
4: It I, I won't. Uh, yes, there are. Yes? I, I just okay. won't tell you why or how. Okay. Um. But in terms of like, you know, we've discussed this in the show before. We are in an age now where there are people that can open movies, but it's a very small list. And I've I, i, I I've always said that Sandra Bullock is one of them. I believe Denzel is one the, of them. But the some, rock like, is depending. Definitely the Rock, uh, Brad Pitt usually opens movies pretty well. DiCaprio opens movies pretty well. I mean, Brad Pitt, I don't know, because Ad Astra. But what's interesting though is like it all comes down Bullet to. Gold Train did, okay. Bull Train made 100 million domestic. Yeah. So you're right about it. That's a great, great, great point. So now the question becomes this like, it's interesting. Like, Tom Cruise couldn't really open a film on his own that wasn't franchise. Right. Like, even the Mission Films, I think the highest opening weekend ever ever for domestic was like 66 million or something like that top gun is a perfect example of nostalgia and bringing back a a a common title that people have known for decades and generations of that but like if tom cruise were to release american made this week
0: no it would do (laughs) 6.5
4: It probably wouldn't even make that money money, amount of money so i don't really know where we are in terms of star power now because it really does completely really rely on either nostalgia sequels prequels but you know even like someone like robert pattinson for example he'll do well in batman post twilight but his other films like whatever the Cronenberg film he did and like the smaller films he did uh i think he was in the james gray film wasn't he the lost city of z was he Mm -hmm. in that pattinson yeah yeah But see, they don't know. This goes
0: back to a little bit what we were talking about with Hocus Pocus. Like, I don't think the studios know what to send to streaming and what to send to theaters. Right.
4: They're Um, just as confused
0: as we are. Amsterdam would have been a great movie to put on Disney Plus for 20th Century Fox and to have audiences find it that way.
4: Yeah, but it's boring.
0: Um, Well, but people could try it. People could try it on the streaming service and and then move on to the next thing if they wanted to. And Hocus Pocus should have been in theaters, not to be a broken record on that one, but I think people would have gone to go but, support that. But like, that. I just I,
5: also when it comes to Hocus Pocus, I can't figure out what Disney's priority is. Like, is there priority to drive numbers to Disney Plus? Because if so, then well done, you, you did you did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, you know, if if it's at the bottom of the line just to make money, then yeah, they missed out on a ton. Because I, I I really stand by. I think I think Hocus Pocus two could have done seventy million. I really and do did, think it could have opened that Jake's highly.
4: point. No one's talking about it. Right. It's Monday, October 10th. We are past the second weekend of release. And I, I, I don't nobody. People no, are talking nobody about in our
7: it. circle. Like, it's not a film Twitter thing, but how but many families this season are talking about how, like Hocus Pocus and Hocus Pocus 2 and like it, I think it's, they such all a, watched it's such it a opening traditional weekend. film mm. that I don't think people are on Twitter talking about it necessarily.
4: Well, I know I'm talking about I, I, the point I'm making is to Jake's point is when you have a box office story. That keeps uh, your movie afloat in a very uh, mm-hmm. uh, sure. important way. Like Top Gun being in the top 10 from May 25th through whatever, the end of September, or whatever it was, that was a story that kept driving it. Avatar right. was a that's story. Got
7: so much, that's a so much, the Top Top Gun had so much behind it. It's a very unique thing. It had Smile. two years of build up, It had all, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But
4: it's not, um, it's but no like, guarantee. Think of, but think about if Smile came out on streaming, right? Everyone would watch it that opening weekend and then we wouldn't be doing a story on the second weekend. We wouldn't be, but I don't know that it's necessarily as big as you think. Like Top Gun is
7: next level. Like Top Gun is like moms and dads and grandpas and, you know, everyone's talking about like, wow, it's the biggest thing. Like that is news. We're talking about Smile, but I think in a broader sense, people are just talking about the movie. We're not; t- They're not talking about, like, how great is that doing for an original horror movie that only cost this much money? Like, that's such a niche story that's worth it for us and our audience, I think, is very much interested in it. But it's nowhere near the scale of, like, a giant release like
4: an Avatar or a Topic. Yeah, Avatar but does. still, an article about a drop that small, while I know it's niche to our business, it's still an article, it still, still drives news. clicks, and people sure. still might go, oh, wow, if it dropped that much, I kind of might want to go see it. I mean, again, I, I'm... Again, Smile is in is in a field. Well, nowhere near Top Gun. But for what it is, I do. It's helping it for sure. It's helping the theatrical it sure. stories yeah. are helping it. Like I huh. went and saw it last Wednesday because of how well it did. Because I hadn't have a chance to see it for press and the marketing. And I wanted to be part of I wanted to see what everyone was yeah, talking oh, it's
5: a, about. To way, it's almost become that movie that like, well, shit, I wasn't going to get to see it, but it's, it's become a thing now. So now I got to get out there and go see it.
0: Right. Well, and that sort of feeds into um what Netflix is gonna do with Glass Onion, which is the sequel to Knives Out. And this they've had historic. the benefit of uh the film festival buzz because Glass Onion played in Toronto and played, I can tell you, extremely well in a crowd. Uh and Netflix decided, probably at the urging of Ryan Johnson, um, but you know, but breaking through a few of the barriers, uh, it's gonna play in theaters for a week uh, Thanksgiving weekend ahead of its uh, release on Netflix in December. And to me, that raises so many questions in terms of. I've seen a few charts, I've seen a few of the early Oscar charts, and people are putting Glass Onion on there. Um, It doesn't play to me. And Gabe, you've been able to see you were lucky enough to see it up there in Toronto as well, too. It doesn't play to me like an awards movie, but if people if if people got singled out for it, or if it made a best picture run, I at the same time wouldn't be surprised. It's a good screenplay.
7: I could see the intricate screenplay.
0: It's a terrific buzz. screenplay. Yeah. Um, but, but what happens if it plays for a week in theaters and the first movie has a really, you know, a, a decent sized fan base? There are people who are really looking forward to this and it does really well. Like, do they extend it? <laughs> yes. Do they, you think they keep it going?
4: Yeah, well, this is also historic because this is, I believe, the first time that a Netflix film will be released and be playing in the AMCs and yeah. the Regals because they, they can't
5: even screen in a like well, like I have a, right. I a screening for a Netflix film tonight for a junket. And I got to go across town because the, the theater two blocks from me is an AMC and they won't let them even like screen
4: right. their movies there. And the reason for this, obviously, for people listening, if you don't know, like it, it's it's because Netflix doesn't doesn't honor the theatrical window that the that the that the theaters want, which is, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was 90 days. I don't know if we're at 45 now. I don't know where I don't know where we are. Everything's different. But yep. some things are opening up at the same time, like Halloween's And as an, this
0: proves it's shifting constantly.
4: Right. But Halloween's an interesting one, too, because you're getting theaters and peacock. So yep. maybe the theaters are starting to go, OK, maybe we need to work with these streamers in terms of your point sean it's actually a really good point because so what is the time frame between the theatrical week and the opening of netflix for it it opens at the end of on on netflix at the end of december christmas yeah so it's probably it's a good three weeks which is kind of interesting because it's such a spoiler days it's a spoiler type of movie Mm -hmm. and i mean people once it goes to theaters i mean the internet's going to go crazy with Probably the the spoilers and the ending and the surprises and things like that, which is something I'm it's interesting. They're doing it right then. I maybe would have done it like week of or a week before. I don't know how they would have controlled it, but I, well, I think I it's mean, fascinating. Maybe,
7: maybe it is that maybe they're giving themselves room to expand, like they're saying, like maybe if it does, if it crushes and people are like, oh, I really, you know, maybe they will. Keep going. I hope that this is the beginning of what we've been saying on the show, what I've been saying on the show is that I think it's inevitable that Netflix enters the theatrical business. I think that wants to, I think as Netflix has established themselves as this, as this ubiquitous product and this, this channel, this TV channel that we have that people need for interesting content that our culture is talking about, they now need to make money. And I think that it's only makes sense for them to, to get into the theatrical business as a way to make money on the things that they're investing in, because so many of their competitors are releasing giant movies in theaters, making a billion dollars, and then people are subscribing to their Disney Plus, right. subscri- you know, streaming service. Like that is but that's the model that I think our culture
4: is getting used to. But also, the movies come out on Netflix. Like I've said earlier with Hocus Pocus, and again, it's not for every film, but it, it premieres, people talk mm-hmm. about it, and, and then, then it's over. And then, yeah, and Great Great Man was like gone in, in a week. Yeah,
2: yeah you yeah, know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, for and, sure.
4: and that cost over two hundred million reportedly to make. What's interesting to Gabe's point is what the deal will end up being because Netflix paid what for knives out 450 million. Was it 450? Uh, it for was, like it was 450. Couple, yeah. And then they
7: them, spent, right? then it was 450 for the two sequels. And then they spent budget wise. I think it's another like
4: double that. Like I think they've right. spent like almost a well, billion dollars. Broad. on this. So, 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 you drop, so you drop knives out on Netflix wow. at the end of December, it gets, a it gets a week of like, Hey, everybody loving this kind of thing they where's the money being made. And I think uh, to Gabe's point, you're going to really have to
1: figure out a deal with AMC.
4: Yeah. But with AMC and Regal, you're going to have to figure out a situation where you go, all right, what if we did a 30 day window then went to streaming? Would you guys play in theaters? Would you play your, our movies in theaters? Would you do that? There has to be because Netflix, they can make so much money in that would crush.
0: That not every Netflix movie deserves a theatrical run.
4: No, maybe they just choose which ones.
0: But that's what I'm saying. Like, who who's going to make that choice? Is okay, there so I, filmmakers I, who are going uh, uh, to be? I'm going to play.
5: Can I play Devil's Advocate for a second? No.
0: Okay.
6: <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Why not?
5: I
0: look. Every podcast we, needs
7: a Devil's yes, Advocate. What are we, you talking we,
5: about? We we exist in a film bubble, and we exist in, in a group of people who who love the theatrical experience and value the theatrical experience. A lot of people out there pay a monthly fee... To yeah. Netflix to get content so that they don't have to go to the movie theater. Sure. So if they find out yeah, Netflix is going to start making movies, but they're going to be out there for a month, a month and a half, then they're going to go. Then what the hell am I paying for Netflix? The whole reason I pay for Netflix is to get this content straight into my home when it comes out. I don't want to have to go to work and hear Joe, Mary and Sally talk about it for a month and a half, but I'm waiting for it to well, all the while I'm paying for to, to just sit on my hands and wait for it to come out like isn't the whole concept of Netflix yeah. to have stuff come into our home interesting point.
7: I they have enough there people content. have that conversation but we're talking about maybe three or four releases a year that it's going to that's going to be the case that's yeah you just do, yeah but there but there's going to be the three ones, or four films that people are most going to want to see but I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to kill Netflix is my point I think, I think it's, so well, it's no somewhere. Netflix is killing itself yeah I think they've built themselves to a point from their content, from the TV shows that people want to watch. The movies, I don't think, I don't think Netflix really sells
4: its movies. Like, yeah, I, like Dahmer is what, I, where, I, where they're making their money, I like, I don't stuff think like that, that.
7: I don't think that people are like, I'm here for the Netflix movies, they're there for the Netflix series. And I think that if they can make movie, if they can put money into movies that can only exist in theaters because it needs, it needs that model to make hundreds of millions of dollars. They will benefit from that being the exclusive platform where you can watch it at home. <sighs> I'm, I'm still amazed, amazed to, to, and, to, and, and Netflix is not going to put it on iTunes or or you're not going to be able to buy their their movies from other streamers. Most likely, I would imagine, like they're putting stuff out in theaters, giving it that giant boost for 45 days or whatever, getting that cash flow, entering the business with theaters and all that stuff that comes with it. And then they are the exclusive platform for these things. Cause right. glass onion is them trying to have a franchise glass onion. They spent $450 million on it because they want a yeah. franchise. They spent as much money as they did on gray man, because they wanted the Marvel guys to build them a franchise. Like they want to be in that business and they're not. Universe. They're, in the, they're, in the TV, universe. they're in
4: the TV business at the well, moment. Well, What's interesting though, about, about um, box office though, in terms of like, like knives out, it, 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 it's, it, it's an interesting thing. Like to Jake, to your point though, I feel like most people don't think about release dates like we do. Like my parents would just go, oh, I'll watch knives out on Netflix at the end of December. Like they're not going to go, oh, it's in theaters. I want my money back. Like, I don't think a lot of people think the way we do, because most people have gotten accustomed, at least for years for people who didn't go to the theaters, they would have a movie come out in theaters. They go, "Oh, I'm going to wait my 90 days and just wait for it to come out on home, home video. Um, I think that Netflix is already pushing so much content to Gabe's point that it wouldn't even like probably register with people that. Oh, knive like people don't even know. Most people don't even know Knives Out's a Netflix movie. I was just
5: going to say, most people don't even know what what studio a film right. belongs to yeah, right. in some yeah. form or fashion. So that's, that's probably like, what it's
4: going to boil down to. But I, I saw this today. This kind of like made me kind of go, huh? Like I was like I was looking on Twitter do you see Barbarian is coming to HBO Max before it goes to Disney Plus? <laughs> is it really? It, was, um, I mean, it, it <laughs> was really. I mean, has, well, no, has Disney she... Plus started
5: that adult content portion of the app yeah. yet? That pulls well, out. Yeah. Barbarian's Fox, right? Yeah. It yes. is Fox, but so Disney released I, it.
7: Yes, but it was it was a Fox. It was Fox. The the like sub label or whatever. Yeah. Yes. They had a streaming deal with HBO Max, oh. and so that's like I think from what I read, that's like one of the last vestiges of the merger that's still murky. Where like, that was weird. HBO has <laughs> the rights to these because of whatever they've invested. I was like, why? So is they that get HBO? it for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it was one of those weird, messy things that like doesn't really make sense, but it makes sense when you realize that. These two yeah. giant companies were emerging and it's that's and unusual.
4: It's My confusion, think about that level of confusion, and then think about the average moviegoer. But well, you're doesn't confused under-
7: because you know how the business works. Most people go to Google and they type in barbarian right. streaming and they just go to whatever button comes right.
4: up. You know, that's the like point I'm making. To Jake's point, though, is like I don't think people actually understand. Or no, this is not. This is not to like belittle anybody. It's more of like I don't think people just go, "Oh, that's a Netflix movie. It's a Disney movie. It's an HBO movie." Yeah, you know, no. people don't think like that. So like, if think if Knives Out has a weak theatrical engagement, no one who has a Netflix subscription is going to be like, "Wait a second, they're cheating me on my money." Again, here. again,
7: I think that. Not to keep selling my point, I'm not trying to get a job at Netflix, but I'll you know take me if you want to pay me millions of dollars. Um, but to put a finer point on this before we move on, I think that is the benefit of them entering the theatrical business is that they will have all this big talk, public discussion around them and people will go to their phone and they'll say, Oh, that new movie's coming out. When can I watch that at home? If there's someone who just wants to watch it at home and what they'll be told is you can watch it on Netflix and they go, Oh shit, I already have Netflix. Great. I don't think it's necessarily a point of contention or disappointment. I think that's just going to be the button that shows up. If they're the type of person who goes, I don't want to see this in a theater. When can I watch it at home and where can I see it? They're just looking to see if it's on Amazon, if it's on HBO, if it's on Disney or if it's on Netflix and they'll be happy to wherever it is, you know, like, okay. I, but they're going to, but Netflix is going to get that attention because it's in theaters and people are talking about it for weeks on it.
0: The takeaway of this conversation is that everyone listening should go see Glass Onion in a the theater. Yes.
7: I that's also, yeah. I want to yes, please. It's because. so good and we need the support. <laughs>
0: this movie is so stupid good Yeah. that like and the script is so smart that lines of dialogue get applause breaks like it's just fantastic and so personally i'm thrilled that it's getting a theatrical release oh this is huge i think that that's how it should be viewed i love that it's dropping in thanksgiving weekend when a lot of families are looking for something to go see i'm not saying rustle up the kids and go see glass onion but like aunts and uncles and cousins and people who are just killing the time and want to go older to the kids. I would say
5: older kids, older kids, for 100% sure. for sure. You know, I gotta ask 12, 12 right? months ago, where was yeah. this love for Finch? Mm. Like, let's um, get let's movie. get Finch in a theater. You're you right. Know, it, it's, a,
4: it's a great movie. It's right. Exist. I think about that a lot.
5: Yeah. Where 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 was the theatrical <laughs> <laughs> release for Finch? <laughs> I,
0: think about, that
4: all I think about it all the time. <laughs> like, like, where where Finch. was
5: Finch's Oscar?
4: I asked The Rock about that on Saturday. I'm like, why do you think Finch didn't come out? Um. Kevin, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a great question, Kevin. You really know your stuff, Kevin.
0: <laughs> Kevin. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, throw it to an advertisement and come back on the other side with the reviews <laughs> the of This thingam. Week in Movies. And we are back. Okay, so a couple of movies that are opening in theaters this week. Uh, one is going a little bit wider, and so we want to throw uh, some attention onto it. Um, and that is Tar. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that there's a movie called The Curse of Bridge Hollow, excuse me, that is going to Netflix. And you guys can watch that if you'd like to there. We have no clue what it is. Sounds like a family movie. Um, if you have kids, turn it on, screen it for them. Let us know what you think. Head to the comments down below. <laughs> Give us your review. But Tar, Tar is Kate Blanchett, um, in a movie with an absolutely god awful title. Um, and a disturb not, not disturbing, um, mysterious marketing campaign because I've watched the trails for this. I'm the one who hasn't seen it yet. Kevin and Jake have both seen it, Um, so maybe the title makes a lot of sense. But I have no clue what this movie is about. Like
4: I just I mean, don't. It's, it's, I it's don't her, know her last, last name. name.
0: Is that her last name? Her name okay,
4: Lydia well, it, Tar. It's, it's like, like calling a movie Joker.
5: You know, yeah. you can you could tell That's because in the in the, in the trailer, <laughs> his name's, <laughs> his name's, his name's <laughs> George <laughs> Joker. <laughs> George you Joker. George Joker. I mean,
4: it's like, joke. it's like it's just a part. Of, it's just someone's name. Is what I mean. Okay, gotcha. Hamilton would have
5: been a good example. So this is
0: based on a real person.
5: No, in fact, actually, it's so funny what you mentioned that <laughs> because that was asked in my news meeting today. And I feel like that's starting to become a thing because in a lot of the press releases I'm getting, they're having to start putting the word fictional in uh, parentheses. As they're describing the plot, Uh,
0: fictional character,
5: because I think a lot of people are watching this um, thinking or at least seeing the trailer uh, thinking that it's based on a true story. And it's not.
0: Yes. Legitimately, just a few days ago when they mentioned because she's like a composer. Yes, she's a composer. When they were talking about the, the character she's playing and and they phrased it as like based off of something. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize it was a real person. And no. now you're telling me it's,
5: it's not. not. Now not she does. Um, they, they do reference other composers and, and she references her history with real life composers. But the character she's playing is, as Ben Affleck would call her, a fictional
4: character. Channel. What's fictional actually character. funny is when the movie ended, I thought it was a real person. Really? Because I because I because again, it's to Jake's point, they present the film in such a way where like, yeah, she worked with Leonard Bernstein and like, you know, like she's one of the few EGOT winners to ever get an EGOT and like they sell it. And like maybe that's just maybe that's just how great the film delivers the information. But I mean, part of in the back of my head was like, wait, do I not? Do I just not know who Lydia Tarr is in terms of the music world? Have I never heard this person before? And then turns out it's obviously fiction. All right. So
0: tour de force for Cate Blanchett from everything we're hearing. Jacob said, is she as good as advertised?
5: Yeah, she's she's phenomenal. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, You mentioned having seen the trailer. Yeah, I also had seen the trailer. Kevin had not. Um, The trailer, while great, is, I think, an incredibly misleading representation of what the film is. So much so that about halfway through the movie and even once it was over, I kind of had to detach myself from what my expectations were based on the trailer and reattach myself to the reality of what the film was. I think the trailer, at least the one I saw presented what I've to me was sort of what's kind of a black swan kind of a uh, psychological thriller. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I it's s- not that it's okay. not, um, it's, it's a inc- phenomenal film with an absolutely flawless performance by Kate Blanchett. But it's not that kind of black swan sort of psychological thriller. It's much more of a deep dive into into ego and um, the the crumbling of power and someone's uh, come to Jesus moment uh, kind of within the Me Too movement. Uh, which really, for me, was a was a much more surprising aspect of this story than I was expecting. Um, it dives into the psyche of someone who is just at the absolute top of their game um, and that realization when they have to come to terms with the fact that uh, power is not an excuse for bad behavior mm-hmm. and talent is not an excuse for bad behavior. and when someone is at that point in their life and their career. And they're that good at what they do, for them, that's a very hard thing to wrap their brain around. And the the movie is a nearly three hour long film of someone coming to terms with the fact that maybe my position in life and my position in my career and my talent isn't gonna get me past
0: this. Oh, interesting.
5: And it's um just I mean, you're you're not gonna find that many performances this year better. Than what Kate Blanchett does in this. And and again, it's a I hate this expression, but it's a slow burn of a film. Clocks in it nearly three hours. But I don't know about you, Kevin. I was never once bored. I was I was captivated in such a way. I, I hate saying a film is a genre when it's not a genre, but it's so like ugh, of a film that it's it's almost thrilling in a way, even though it's a fairly slow film.
4: Yeah, I I mean listen. It's interesting because I didn't watch the trailers prior. Um, I mean, I thought it. was... And you know, I texted finished. you not to. Yeah, and it, it's it it is a very uh, tough film um, <laughs> in terms of thematics and performance. And uh, you know, I say this sometimes, but I mean it. Like you you, you see you look up on the screen, you don't see Kate Blanchett. Is mm-hmm. that that character? She is just fully realized. Like an un, un, I mean, in, in my interview with her, she said that at one point she would wake up in the middle of the night and she would have her arm in the air and she'd be conducting just because it was so ingrained in her body. Um, You know, and again, sometimes you hear actors say things like that and you think it's kind of ridiculous, but actually no i mean like she lived this person so much that it was coming out in her dreams um and when she would wake up and she'd be like why am i conducting it's crazy um but in terms of the film um todd field directed this uh you know obviously in the bedroom and little children uh it's masterfully directed like scored sound design um i was just engrossed in this world and it was again to a point where i was questioning whether or not this person was real and maybe that's Mm. the The part of the immersion, right? Like he made me believe that this was a real person that existed in entertainment, in music somehow. Um, I don't want to botch your name. So I'm just going to ask, is it Nina Haas or Nina Haas? Um, I, I'm I not want,
5: sure because we all know someone in the industry whose name is Nina,
4: so um, that's why that's why I gave both. And I just wanted I want to give her a shout out because she's absolutely incredible in the film. She plays um, a character who's the partner of Kate Blanchett. Uh, and I think um, going to get a supporting actress nomination. 100% deserves one, and uh-huh. I apologize in advance if I don't have her name correct. I just wanted to give her a shout out because I know mm-hmm. the press is really centered around Kate Blanchett, as it you know it, it, she's the lead of the film. It's the title character, but. This performance title
5: character, Sean, that's your last name. Might as well. be, sure
4: I got (laughs) got got to give her credit. She plays she she plays Sharon in the film. And basically in the film, we learn that, you know, they're together in the film and they have uh, they have a child together. And that whole push pull with her going home after the drama she experiences in the conducting and in the music world. Those to me are some of the best scenes in the film. Mm. Um, and I just think I hope she gets nominated. She's phenomenal. I think she will. I think it was she a will. performance that I, I I didn't really. I was just like I walked out. I mean, I loved Kate Blanchett, but I was like, oh my god, who was the that? movie? Doesn't work if if that performance
5: yeah. and that character. Is not as fully realized as it is.
4: Yeah, and and honestly, I'm not too familiar with her work. I was looking at her IMDb, um, but I just wanted to give her a shout out because I do believe yeah. that she's going to be in the running.
5: You, you, yeah, and you are you're going to see her name, especially with um, Michelle Williams out of the supporting actress category. Yeah. Um, that, and, I, I feel like that category is now potentially um, a lot more wide open.
4: Yeah, and and this is also one of those cases where her performance is so important to what happens. Mm. With it's funny, we were talking about this last a uh, couple weeks ago. I think we were doing we were doing Ethan Hawke. We're doing, how do we get to Ethan Hawke? We were talking about Ethan Hawke for training day. Oh, Oscars. We're oh, doing the Oscars. Oscars thing. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I was talking about how I feel that his performance in training day, Ethan hawk's performance in training day, was so important to what Denzel delivered. Not taking mm-hmm. away from what Denzel did, mm-hmm. but those scenes work so much better than, you know, because Ethan Hawke is the scene partner. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Cate Blanchett has a lot of scenes without this character, Sharon, mm-hmm. but. But when she's win those scenes, that to me was the strongest material in the film. Um, So I thought it was fantastic. I think there's a lot to be said about going back and like taking a deep dive and pulling this movie apart and figuring out what's going on here. What's happening here? What's real? What's not real? Um, But it is a lot to do with. You know, troubled artists, artists that have that have done things and whether or not you can you can accept their art. Um, there's a whole, there's, there's a lot of interesting thematics that are, I think in this film that are very deep. And it, and to be honest with you, he built this whole world mm-hmm. like it's incredible, like that this like it felt just so real. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I was watching a real like documentary about. Whoever Lydia Tarr is, okay. you know, it was pretty wild. So, well,
0: it's it's opening in uh, some more of the major cities that did a New York and L.A. sort of deal, and now it's going into some of the bigger markets and then it's going to go even wider later on in the in the month, which is when a podunk market like Charlotte might end up uh, eventually getting it. So
5: I just picture that we're like doing this deep dive review of this powerful film and then we're yeah. going to cut to Gabe, who's going to go anyway. Here's Wonderwall.
7: Sean, <laughs> uh, do you not have a screening set up yet? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> I see it I Wednesday. Not. I'm very excited.
0: Oh, which is, oh yeah. which is crazy because we are the Tar Heel State, so you would assume. <laughs> that, <laughs> okay. uh, they uh, were well, good. Sean's going to see and go. This
5: isn't about North Carolina at all.
0: Not at all. Well, uh, that's funny. All right, so let's get to Halloween Ends, which is David Gordon Green's conclusion to a trilogy uh, of films that he has made which is miraculous to me because they are three films that do not fit together uh, in any way, shape or form. I think that they, that he's told three very distinct stories that happen to be set in the town of Haddonfield. Um, And I, I kind of admire him for that. Um, I'm going to be on the more positive side, I think (laughs) uh, of the, of the trio for Halloween ends um, because I really liked what the movie did individually. Um, and if you just view it individually, I think it's a really interesting chapter uh, in the very long Halloween saga. But if you look at it as you were hoping that it continued the story of um, Lori Strode that was launched in the 2018 uh, Halloween reboot, remake, sequel, whatever they ended up calling that, um, it makes as much sense to that one as Kills did uh, to to Halloween, and in, and in which case I'm trying to say, like, didn't make a connection to it at all like this. And it's hard to talk about this one without giving away some major, you know, character reveals uh, and spoilers. But um, the way that I, we can sort of couch it, I think, is that the focus of this movie um, is a character that you haven't met in the trilogy yet. Um, which is po- exactly
5: what you want at the end of a 44 year long story is to bring in a new main character right at the very end
0: to the point where well, I've been
4: waiting for Corey the whole time.
0: The, it, I, the, it took 15 or 20 minutes of me watching Halloween ends before I finally came to terms with, have we met this character before? Like, is he an important part of the franchise that I'm just not familiar with? Because there are a lot of new characters introduced in Halloween ends. The entire town of Haddonfield, you know, goes up in an uproar and, and, and evil dies to, tonight. Yeah. Fight back against uh, the, the concept of evil. And and Jake's slight on Halloween kills is a hard to argue against. It's a Halloween movie where Michael Myers and Laurie Strode never share the screen together. Um, this, as as Jake has also talked about, and he'll, I'm sure he'll say this again, is a is a Halloween movie that's not really about Michael Myers in any way, shape or form. However, I will argue that the movie tries to do something bigger, which is discuss how Haddonfield um and the threat of Michael Myers has poisoned the community of Haddonfield and made them um angry and made them bitter and made them superstitious and that um there are some really interesting notions that it uh that it triggers where it says um that Laurie, by by keeping a focus on Michael Myers and, and essentially by baiting him to return to Haddonfield, that some of the um fault of the crimes committed by Michael Myers falls back on her a little bit. And I do think that David Gordon Green really did try to take some big swings in terms of going after uh, thematic material that comes with being a survivor uh, and some of the survivors guilt that comes with being uh, Lori Strode. And the psychological impact of Michael Myers. I just think that he did it in three separate movies that went in three different directions, because if you focus on the the character of Corey that we meet in this one and how he um, is a victim of something that goes wrong um, and and then the town doesn't trust him because of it. And and are they birthing a new Michael Myers sort of deal? Uh, It's really hard. I don't want to give away any of the specifics that sort of come with it. It's a good story. I think that that's a good story. But but almost like what you said with Tar, you had to take your expectations away from what you thought it was based on the trailer. With Halloween ends, you have to take away your expectations of what you want it to be as the conclusion of a franchise and just go with what the movie is giving you. But but if you're looking for like the culmination of Laurie and Michael, I think it lets you down in that instance. And that's where I'm going to throw it to Jake, because I think that's your biggest problem.
5: Well, yeah, and I I think, look, a a lot of times we say, well, it's not fair to have this expectation or that expectation. I think this is an instance where it is totally fine to have the expectation of going into this film expecting the final Laurie Strode-Michael Myers showdown, which in and of itself, it already doesn't really make sense, because wasn't one of the few big points that Halloween Kills made uh, that michael's not after her like she she was just a girl who was there that night they're yeah. not brother and sister he doesn't have a vendetta against her he's not after her and yet somehow we're back around to him kind of being after her again which doesn't really make a ton of sense i actually really like that kind of it's almost like the like raised parents don't matter yes they do kind of kind of kind of mm. twist you know a bit. Yeah. um which I, you know, even though for every, all my problems with Last jet, I actually wish that her parents didn't matter. Um, thank you, Gabe. But Beach, yeah, go, going, going back to, to, to some of the points Sean brought up, I, one of the, my biggest knocks about Halloween Kills is how are you going to have a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers and never have them share the screen together? And at one point we were about 50, 55, almost 60 minutes into this movie. And I kind of paused and went, Michael Myers has been in this movie for 15 seconds. Fifteen yeah. seconds, and we're almost halfway done with the film. I, I haven't done the count, but it's pretty close that another character might have more kills in this film than Michael Myers does.
1: Oh, definitely.
5: definitely. And it's just—I mean, look, this—there this, was a moment where this film felt closer to *Season of the Witch*. Remember, in, in the early '80s, after *Halloween* two. They thought they were going to start doing like an an anthology and then they so they do a Halloween sequel without Michael Myers in it. And if this had been kind of one of those, then, yeah, you're right, Sean. A lot of the points that they brought up in this film could be really interesting Mm -hmm. um, in that, like, do do we give birth to these kinds of monsters? But it is fair that fans expectations coming into this film, a film called Halloween Ends that it's supposed to be the end of a 44 year journey. Hmm. And for them to just say, well, the end of this 44 year journey has nothing to do with the rest of the 44 year. journey," I think it's fair that expectations are brought in and it's fair that people are angry based on those expectations. Um, okay. You know, it was weirdly enough, had this been the plot of Halloween kills, mm-hmm. I would have been a little bit more intrigued because it would have been sort of like, Oh, maybe they're setting it up to, with this idea of like, Evil is always going to be around, whether it's Michael Myers wearing the mask or not. Sure. I'd been much more forgiving of this plot line and almost intrigued by it. If it had been if this had been the chapter two of the of the three.
2: Yeah, but it's not.
5: It's not. It's the end. And and honestly, like the big showdown between Lori and Michael
0: to me was a letdown. Um, and right, it that's, just that's where I'm going to push back a little bit because it wasn't. It's not. it was it was and and the there are it, some things, and we can talk spoilers. Yeah. There are a couple of things in terms of the last few minutes of this movie that I think were gnarly and really great. <laughs> really great. All right,
5: that's, that's why I'll stop. As, as a fan of 80s slasher movies, and even I know yeah. was, the original was 78, but as a fan of this j- period of horror, this is my favorite period of horror. Incredibly disappointed in how this wrapped up. Kev, where do you fall?
2: <sighs> um.
4: <laughs> He's like, actually, to go back to The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah well okay well i mean I, again i said this before but I, I i still have a problem with the way the 2018 film ended i you know again it's that business decision versus story let's just keep them alive so we can make two more movies because i think the ending of the last the 2000 2018 halloween would have been perfect three generations of of, of laurie strode's family perfect over him yep. in a burning basement yep boom laurie her daughter and her daughter's daughter. Yes. All kill Michael. I mean, it's literally the, it's a perfect ending. It's perfect. And then they go, Oh no, he's still alive and we'll make two more. And again, I know that was the plan. I get it. Um, and, and I know the business that we, we work in I mean, it makes and That's sense. also but just the genre. I yeah. get it. But that ending would have been awesome. And honestly, I think, I 2000- think you could argue that
7: like, maybe that's the point he was trying to make like this, this, these people don't get a perfect ending. This is a messy, you know, scary thing. Like, maybe. Maybe well, there's more to it than that.
4: I mean, to Gabe's point, though, he's not wrong. I mean, the 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 themes of trauma that go throughout these other two films are key to that because we know that her daughter dies in the, in Halloween kills. So it, Gabe's not wrong. I mean, there's definitely thematic and storied reasons they did it, but I just I don't agree with it. Um, that being said, this one um, is so Halloween kills is awful. <laughs> that movie is I think we all can agree is just terrible. not good it's not, not good. good um so anything uh anything i think in this franchise could be better than halloween kills um i actually do like the final fight i think the final fight was cool mm-hmm. um i do not like the character that uh is intertwined throughout this main story of like uh and i don't know how much we're getting into about what that character does but there's I essentially that i'll leave yeah. it alone but basically there's a character as the guys were saying there's a character that is kind of it's more about this character than it is about Michael Myers at, at times. Um, that being said, uh, that stuff I did not think worked. And, it, and it, um, to Jake's point, it was frustrating because I was like, again, it is the last Halloween film. Theoretically, mm. you want Michael Myers. And, I, and, and, and that sounds so weird. Cause like, Oh, we, we want the killer to show up. But I mean, that that is what Halloween is, you know. And I think to be honest with you, I think him and Lori could have had two fights, um, maybe like a midway fight. Uh, and then uh, a final fight I don't know Mm -hmm. Um, but and this is not a spoiler the final fight is in the trailer you've seen it so it's like like, not what happens but you've seen pieces of it Um, so I think what's interesting about this film is what I actually like about it are the themes the 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 the, the trauma the trauma themes the facing your demons is a line that she says that I think is really important about like do you lock them outside or do you let them in Um, and I think those ideas about are the elements controlling you, or are you controlling them? Those are all things that really resonated with me, and and, and that's kind of what I t- spoke to her about in the interview. And those are the things that I actually found fascinating. Like, as you take a horror film and you can play with actual themes that make you question elements, that works. And I think that's what David Gordon Green did good with these films: is is that trauma aspect, and is that that domino effect of what it does to people and the families and the towns they live in. It was
0: definitely way more interested in that. Yeah.
4: That is way more interesting than anything going on with the Michael Myers storyline. I mean, I know he's tied to all those themes clearly because that's the whole point of the movie. Sure. But it doesn't. Yeah. It, it, to Jake's point, I don't know it. Listen, when you go in to see Hollywood, Halloween, Halloween, Halloween ends, you want a Halloween movie. You want an, like you want, like it should. I I think this could have been just a classic throwback. Um, you deal with the traumatic themes, but just like, you know, and I think I think it would have been really cool if they played around with like an idea of like, I don't know, doing some similar things they did in the first one uh, in the original. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said about the way she, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis performs this, the end of this character and kind of what we're seeing in this film. Um, I, I think she's obviously she's so great in the role, but as she told us in the interview, in these movies, it's kind of become to a point where like her and Lori are essentially the same. I mean, it's not same. what they've dealt with, but they're they're one of the same in terms of like there's a catharsis that's that she achieves from playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, I didn't I didn't hate the film. I didn't necessarily dislike the film, but I was underwhelmed because it you know, I think after kills, we were all a little like suspicious about how this is going to be. And I was kind of hoping they would just bring it back to that classic Halloween feel just to kind of give us that closure. Yeah. Which is kind of why I thought the 2018 one would have been great if they had just ended it there. But that's a whole nother discussion. So I'm kind of in a weird middle ground with this one. I, 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 I It's so much better than Kills. So I mean, that, that, that already amps it for me. I just don't know if it's better than the 2018 one minus the ending of that first one. So I don't yeah. know. I'm kind of like a... But you'd
0: recommend, would you recommend it? Because I would, I would definitely recommend people try, check it out.
4: I, okay, here's the thing. I probably wouldn't recommend going to a theater to see it. And I'm a okay. theatrical person. I just think that you may be disappointed if you leave your house and spend a lot of money to go to a theater. I think Jake would agree. Jake, uh, I don't know, where are you at? that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jake, I, know, Let's I don't see. know. I don't think I, I
5: Look, it's it's one of those weird things where it's like, uh, who am I to tell you? Like, it's the end. So you probably anyone who's interested yeah. in this movie probably wants to know what happens. So in that sense, like watch it just so
4: you know, but don't watch it and think you're going to enjoy it. But Jake, if you were reviewing the movie on TV and, yep. and your anchor was like, should people go to the theaters and pay for this? What would you say? No. Right. and 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 so you have the peacock version and it's tough because. Yeah, it's like it's like I just you just I wanted this to be a home run. And it's kind of just like a. Single steal second. I'll be curious. You don't what, You don't know with his baseball references.
0: This guy. I don't know. He's like watching the postseason. I <laughs> love <a> it. <laughs> All right. Well, this transitions us into this week's blend game, which is keeping the Halloween talk going. We played uh, hashtag Halloween sequel blend um, and similar to Kev. I'm not a huge fan of the Halloween franchise. Um, I think Carpenter's movie is is really good. Um, I like Halloween, two for what it is. And then I think it's a tremendous drop off from that point on. And I can't think of any of the ones beyond that that I necessarily like. Even the one that people sort of give a pass to, which is H2O, fell in that. Late night is it late 90s, early 2000s when that one came
1: out. Yeah,
0: where all the horror movies kind of had that Kevin Williamson vibe to them. They all wanted to sort of go after that, that tone. Um, and I feel like they shoehorned Halloween into it. Uh, the supporting cast seemed to be a little bit out of like central casting for people who were popular at that time. Josh Hartnett. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, so my choice for that, it it's might seem obvious as the 2018 uh, reboot um, I just, to me, it's the best that and the closest that the franchise got to. It's almost like what people hoped Rob Zombie's Halloweens were going to yeah, be. Which I is, hate Rob Zombie's. But it's like we're taking the I concept. I didn't mind his first one. We're handing it to a director one, yeah. that has a vision, you know, and he's going to execute that vision uh, very clearly. And mm-hmm. I think David Gordon Green stepped in. I thought he was an unusual choice uh, to make the movie. It's not like he has a horror background, Um, but I think he and then he co-writes it with Danny McBride, which also mm-hmm. felt like a what are we uh, for real? Um, um, But then they did such a great job of that angle of Lori uh, is really, really interesting, particularly in 2018 of here's a woman who has had to live with uh, the, the weight and the trauma of this uh, boogeyman essentially. And she's going to be prepared if he ever comes back uh, to the point where she's isolated herself from her family uh, at the expense of having to be ready in case her greatest fear should resurface. that's a really great way back into Halloween. Um, But then that first 2018 movie did what I think you guys really wanted ends to do, which is embrace the concept of on Halloween night, Mike Myers, Michael Myers is, uh, you know, stalking his way through Haddonfield and taking out people in incredibly violent ways. Um, Like the, the, the kill in the bathroom is vicious. Yeah. Just vicious. Um, There's some really brutal deaths throughout it. The scene we we watched Halloween ends for the first time in Toronto. I sat next to Kevin and there was a moment where I actually talked back to the screen in a way that I've never talked back to the screen before, which is Michael Myers walking through a house. Um, he picks up a knife off of the kitchen table and he's heading into the living room and you hear the sound of a baby crying mm-hmm. um, somewhere in the house. And my sick mind thought, oh, my God, we're going to have to watch Michael Myers kill a baby. And he doesn't. He walks right past the crib and keeps moving. Um, but when when the baby cried, I said, oh, God, no. Like, but like not like roll your eyes like, oh, this is cheesy. Don't do this. But like, oh, right. my God, I don't have to. I don't want to have to watch this. And that's how engrossed I was in the story. That's how engrossed I was in what was happening. Um, I think that that's, that's the most effective Halloween movie to come after John Carpenter's original film. I think it got as close to the the impact of the original film. And so. You know, I'm disappointed that the two follow up movies didn't build on that. But I hold the same belief that Kevin says that they had a perfect ending and and had they had they kept to it, uh, it would have been fantastic. And we would have had a tremendous Halloween movie that we could have said this completely bookends. You had Halloween that opened it and Halloween that ended it. Right. And it would have been a uh, just a great body of work uh, that encapsulated everything. Here's the box set. Put it on your shelf. And uh, and enjoy. So, Kev, where are you going?
4: I'm gonna do the same because it's the it's. A, oh, I, and one other thing I wanted to point about the new Halloween that I did like was the opening. I thought the opening scene was pretty opening wild. Traumatic. Traumatic. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome. i yeah, like, I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. Yeah, And and that's kind of why I'm like so middle ground in that movie, because there were things that I dug It's probably the opening and the ending that I really liked about that movie, if it makes sense now. Um, all right. In terms of yeah, I have to go 2018 because outside of the book ended ending, which, you know, again, I loved this idea that it was Halloween, Halloween, you know, and then again, my 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 idea of that would have been kill them off with the Strode generations. But we didn't get that outside of that. I think that is the strongest of the three. Um just because it 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 is it's probably the most michael myers Halloween esque film of the of these three um I'll be completely honest with you. I grew up watching the original Halloween I don't even remember really two three four i don't i mean I remember seeing h two o in theaters when I was a kid <sighs> and resurrection um I don't remember liking them particularly. Um, so I, I have to be specific in saying that it's been a long time since I've seen any of those except for the original. Um, so my mind is kind of more in the fresh aspect of these current three. And we've been doing press for the for the three. So they've been in my life since 2018 in a very, you know, in my, in my work. Um, so I, I got to give it to that one. And I because I, I do think that it was. You know, one of my biggest complaints about modern day horror is. The violence, uh, it's just so brutal and disturbing. Um, now, I'm not saying the original wasn't, but it was minimalistic. It was it was uh, less deaths, less gruesome, still scary and still disturbing. But it was done in a very different way um, than I think a lot of these films are now. The bathroom scene that Sean's talking about. That's kind of what I'm talking about. It's it, it's a, it's just a little brutal um Ooh. for my taste um yeah. and i and i know that that's what these movies are um but uh yeah so i mean i know it's kind of kind of a long way of saying i guess the 2018 one but i don't really have a a, a real personal feeling about this particular blend game jake you are our horror um expert as, i like horror uh, films someone
0: who goes back and rewatches these films on the regular do you I do, I do i have do, a do do right, right to a, my right i have a
5: um a signed nick castle um uh, shape mask. Do
0: you like the Halloween franchise?
5: Very much so. I love, yeah. Okay. Um, some more than others. Like, like. here's what I'll say. Um, in terms of, like, the Holy Trinity, my least favorite. Okay. Uh, I, th- I actually think the qual <clears throat> excuse me. I actually think the quality of the Nightmare films is the highest. So, so much so that, like, yes. some of the sequels Great. are among the best. Yes. Um, yeah. The Friday films are... Fun and ridiculous and also get better because they slowly turn into what people think of when they think. I mean, I think, you know, people forget that, you know, Jason's barely even in. He's not the main killer in the in the original. He doesn't even get the hockey mask till part three. He wears a, a sack over his face with a with a, a cut out of his eye yeah. um, and in part two. So I think that's a fun series because you can see it evolve into what it is. The Halloween films are what they are. Um So it's my least favorite of the three, but I still really like them. Um, And my favorite in terms of the sequels is the 81 sequel Halloween, two. Um, And the reason I I really like that one is, no, it's not directed by Carpenter, but it is written by Carpenter. Hmm. Um, And you've got uh, obviously you got Jamie Lee Curtis coming back. You've got uh, Donald Pleasance coming back as Dr. Loomis. And it really does feel like a like not like no pun intended because clearly it's a part two. But it really does feel like a part two to the original. Like it picks up literally seconds after uh, the original leaves off and follows Lori into going to the hospital after everything that happened, after being attacked and everything. And it feels it's not to the same quality of the original, but it just feels so much like, like they almost like they filmed them both at the same time and then just cut them in half. Um, Mm -hmm. If you were to watch them back to back and think of them as like one story in one movie, you'd think to yourself, well, that movie kind of went downhill in the back half. But It's it's to me, it's the closest that anyone has ever truly gotten to capturing that spirit of the original. And, yeah, I I agree with you. I actually really do like the twenty eighteen Halloween. It does bring up a lot of really interesting ideas, because at this point, um, a forty five year franchise can't just be Michael killing people anymore. You got to print. You need to bring up ideas. But at that time, it had only been three years later and it was just a well, what happened after that? Because when the original Halloween ends, Michael's in the front yard and then he's not in the front yard. Um, so where'd he go? And it's it's a really fun I think people forget that there are answers to that uh, I think a lot of people think that they've seen part two or maybe haven't seen part two or it's been a long time since I've seen it so I would recommend if it has been a hot second and you've seen Halloween 10,000 times before I know a lot of people are pressing play on scary movies in the month of October do yourself a favor like go watch the 81 Halloween 2 or, yeah. or or if you're going to watch Halloween the next time you put on Halloween 2 and you'll be kind of surprised at how much it really does feel like how the Carpenter's Halloween kind of just kept going and again mm-hmm. he wrote it so in he, he gets a say in terms of what happened to laurie after after that that original so i really really really
0: like the 81 halloween too all right there you go um uh, we still want to hear your picks for halloween sequel blend so send them to us using the hashtag uh next week we're going to keep it in the horror genre we're going to do something really fun called found footage blend Oh, Hashtag fun one! Found footage blend. So let us know your pick via email. Ooh, and the new VHS
5: comes
7: out
0: next week, right? Yeah, VHS yeah.
5: was it 90- 99 Yeah. Oh, I'm so
7: excited! I love the VHS uh, films. Which we didn't. We should have talked with Bruckner about that. I didn't think about that.
0: Yeah, he did. Oh, got He got yeah. his start in VHS. Yeah, A lot oh. of interesting uh, horror filmmakers
4: got yeah. their start in the VHS. Series. I think.
7: Um, so did didn't the guy that did um, the last King Kong movie? What the hell is his name?
4: Uh. uh you jackson <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. you're no, talking the about the the, long uh, beard. Uh, the guy with the beard um yeah he, he did a, uh adam wingard. adam wingard adam adam wingard yeah, the show. Yeah, i yeah. think
7: he
0: also was in phs
7: i'm pretty sure yeah. he
0: did as well too um so send us your pics uh, at real blend some uh realblend at or you can use hashtag found footage blend um we'll be back with a brand new show next week in the meantime follow us uh, on social media at jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and at Real Blend. We really want to hear what you guys think about Halloween when you're able to check it out. And let us know if you saw it in the theaters or went to Peacock. Um, and until then, we'll be back next week with a brand new show. As mentioned, Hockey See pads. you guys soon.
1: Babelman's.